What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Shee and I am here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, August, mid dog days of summer. How you doing? Bruce. <laughs> I'm good, man. How's it going? It's good. It's hot. The, uh, the culture drought is... Uh, Still upon us, you know, just looking through our our lineup today. We have a couple of interesting topics, but overall, I'm waiting for that fall meat and potatoes of new albums, movies, TV shows to be talking about. But we're getting by. Yeah, we'll get there. Keep, we'll get there. keep getting up every day, people. And uh, to get there with us, hit that subscribe button on YouTube, go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to find all the ways to listen to the podcast and uh, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It all greatly helps us out. Um, why don't we start talking about some uh, some music from some up-and-coming hip-hop artists, one a little bit more established than the others. Start with Pilo, Shine. What, this is mixtape? Is this a mixtape? Is this an album? Who knows? Uh, Unclear for sure on this one. <laughs> um, an album. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say mixtape only because that's how it was on YouTube. But it could go either way. It's a chance the rapper type mixtape, I think. Fair. Yes. Um, you know, uh, Pilo, part of the uh, HPK Heartbreak Gang mm-hmm. um, from the Bay Area. Not not too familiar with him. Obviously, I think he's a a newer artist as I think that's that group is fairly new as well. Right. They're at there. So Pilo as a performer is relatively nascent. He was more well known for being a producer for a while, but the HPK gang actually kind of made noise five years ago because Sage, the Gemini who's in that gang went viral with the song gas pedal. I don't know if you remember that song gas pedal and red nose. These two, to viral hits, you know. Uh, remember at another time, you know, with uh, Bobby Shmurda and people like that, with just viral rap songs really starting to happen at that time. And Gas Pedal was really one of those first ones to do that. But yeah, Sage and I Am Sue, who I feel like I see I Am Sue t-shirts on people more than I see or hear his songs these days. Those two and then Pilo uh, were, I think, the faces of that crew. But yeah, they never really, really broke through beyond... Uh, Sage's brief moment in the spotlight. Um, so yeah, I think they're 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 pretty under the radar artists all around. From from my count, uh, at least going by Spotify, this seems to be his third album, I believe. Pilo, um, last year's Prime being yep his most recent before this, and as you can probably tell by the review, I, I'm not super familiar with him. Dave, you obviously are a little bit more familiar. I was pleasantly surprised listening to this um you know i it starts off with a really great with the the title track which i I thought was really great um and moving through the tracks i felt like it had a decent flow to it i was impressed with the way he kind of floated over a lot of the tracks on this and I, i actually didn't look up did he produce this himself as well uh he produced lots of it the pilo Time to bring the bass down t- is his DJ tag or producer tag. So, yeah, yeah, he's all over this, which I think is really one of the highlights because it sounds great. Yeah, that that that's what I was gonna say. Is um, I think if anything, the the production on it is probably the the strongest part. 
um what, what was your just like general thoughts and let's cut uh, pick a couple tracks to, to jump into oh yeah of course uh so i think actually i really came into knowledge of pilo through his friendship collaborations with g easy of all people because g easy is the biggest bay area act we have these days but bay area overall as a contemporary scene is still pretty uh under the radar people just don't think of it you know we, we talked about the west coast revival all the time we talked about yg this year we talked about kendrick lamar you know everyone in the west coast tyler you know but we kind of forget the bay which had always has had its own unique uh, identity as everyone knows the hyphy movement but after mac dre after e40 after too short who are these bay artists you know and sobrb made noise last year f the pharaoh's pretty cool uh Sawee is from the bay but i feel like Pilo and these HBK guys probably hold it down the best because this production that he that most of it's P, uh, Pilo himself too is just straight hyphy music, straight Bay Area bounce, and it's, mm-hmm. it's great. I think it sounds cool, and because Pilo's from the area, because this is his his scene, his type of rap, he knows how to flow on these beats. And even if he was a producer first, and I still think that's he's a better producer than rapper. I still think he's good as a rapper in this in this lane. So. I think it's a really pleasant listen. I think at times it can be a little uh, samey in the sense that his delivery, which I like his delivery, I like his flow, but it, it can it can get a little repetitive, I suppose. Um, and his lyrics are probably you know down the middle, nothing nothing too introspective, but it, it's a really effective hyphy vibe, mm-hmm. which is uncommon in 2019 to say the least. Yeah, that that bounce is really apparent, and I think is what I enjoyed most about the record um, is. It was just fun, you know, jumping around uh, from track to track. Um, Shine, I think, is a really, uh, really well produced and really bouncy track. The the way it starts off just like catches you immediately. Um, I like what it takes a lot. I felt like that was like a really like more like low key, groovy, smooth track. And uh, probably Sneeze and, and La You kind of uh, rounded out the the top four for me on this. Really, just found those to be the most catching and. Uh, again that i think when this album's at its best is when you kind of are just bobbing along to it and you kind of just feel that energy flowing through the the songs and people are really impressed me with this what what were some of the tracks that you enjoyed the most yeah i liked uh just gang track four like house with mike sherm um who i'm not familiar with but he fit right in on that one i like tight beat tight beat actually came out on like a three track ep people put out uh, a few months ago uh, i think that one perhaps is like the crystallization of that bounce that he owns so well. I think like, and as you said, some of these songs, some of these beats, they just really go. So you mm-hmm. can really just, just, just bob your head to and a lot of fun. Um, a lot of these songs remind me of, uh, I think the highlight from prime last year was called same squad. Uh, again, it's just this, uh, very distinct, uh, you know, type of production and he's, he just, it's, it's, it's fun. So I think those are my highlights probably any other ones yeah i think that those are the best ones but i think i like the uh, i like the, the kalani song as well uh, mm. as a sneeze. uh kalani also actually a, a bay artist so uh yeah uh pilo not gonna be a not gonna be a star uh he doesn't make the type of music that's gonna go viral or anything but it's uh it's cool to see the bay still stay still thriving and neff the pharaoh actually uh his his friend dropped a tape last week as well same day as stiz and uh, we're not reviewing that today, but he's another one that is 
you know, interesting to watch. And just like SOBRV, there, there seems to be some new voices coming up. So it's just cool to see something already so distinctly of where it's from, you know, like Hilo Shine. Yeah. Shout out Bay Area. Um, shout out, what is this? Texas Cousins Diz? No, bro. Boston. No. Really? He's from Dorchester. He, <laughs> he grew up where my first apartment was in Boston. Yes. Hey, told you. Homies. Are you two homies? Uh, yeah, we, we've met. No, we haven't met. Um, but he's friends with Michael Christmas, the other the other big Boston rapper, and I have yeah. seen him before around here. So, yeah, no, he lives in LA now. Uh, as the past few years, but yeah, definitely the biggest, most successful Boston rapper ever, I would say. Cousin Sis, and then Joyner Lucas is from Worcester. Those are like the New England rappers it's it's a short list <laughs> yeah not 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 a great list for boston although Stiz, pretty respectable um yes. you know not not somebody who i think has elevated to uh major status but definitely has a lot of technical skill and that's uh showcased in this new album trying to find my next thrill um what was your relationship with Stiz prior to this album yeah, he's an artist that I just came across the rabid fan base, loyal fan base that he has. I just kind of came across and I was like, oh, Cousins Tiz, I should check that guy out. It seemed like people really like him. I don't think I actually checked him out until maybe last year, two years ago. Um, Suffolk County debut album. So literally, there's, there's your roots there. Manda. Uh, and then, sorry, those are the mixtapes. And then debut album uh, came out in 2017. And then hear that and that, Seems it was kind of like, the, like a growth album for him. Headlock with Offset, I think, is kind of the highlight of that. It's his biggest hit to date, and he was able to be a little bit more commercial on that first album with RCA Records, without abandoning why he got so popular and had these fans, namely because he's like a, I don't know, like a really energetic uh, guy that people like to believe in. Like he just kind of communicates his a. Uh, his emotions about grinding really well, I guess. It's kind of hard to explain. But I was never like a huge fan. I like had a lot of like some of his other songs. But I, I was looking forward to this album just because I think he's, as you said, a technical uh, quality rapper that uh, probably deserves to be a little bigger than he is. Which is funny because he actually blew up when Drake, we've said this a million times to people, but Drake played his first real big hit at his birthday party like six years ago. And that's how people wow. found out about Stiz for the most part. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I feel like if you go back through all the podcasts, like every other one we're talking about, someone Drake has blown up in some way, you know, by mentioning him, having him on a track. Octavia, uh, watch that review. Very influential guy, that Drake. Stiz. Um, yeah, so I, I like, like you, I think actually I had only either like read a review about him, uh, was intrigued by him as an artist, but not, super tuned in him obviously um this album i found to be super i, I don't want to I, I don't think one knows what i'm going for uh i found it to be very like at all on one level i didn't feel like the energy went too high or too low at any point that he kept it right around the same point but it it, it sounded so almost like simplistic you know, like he, he wasn't trying to do too much with the production, but just kind of let his own you know, rapping ability drive the album. Minimalist. Really, really impressive. 
Um, what stood out to you about trying to find my next thrill? Yeah, that's a question. Does something stand out that's different than what he's already done? Probably not. But as you said, he, he really likes minimalist, mm-hmm. simple beats. He's all, He always has. And they allow him because I think his charisma on the mic, just his delivery of, of lyrics has always been pretty strong. And that allows him to, is he, he always like shows his work on his music, I suppose you could say. And on songs like STP, songs like So-So, you know, even if his delivery for the most part, as you said, it's pretty down the middle. Uh, it's, it's pretty like it's, it's also a, it's a high floor the whole time. So if you're a Stiz fan, this is probably exactly what you wanted, you know, but I don't know if there's a moment on this album that's like a highlight, like you listen to this song, you'll get it like mm-hmm. crystallization of what Stiz means to people, but it's, it's more, more Stiz, both good and bad. So yeah, I think he doesn't totally jump out, but that's, I don't want to, that sounds too negative. Like it, it's still quality all around. He just, he hasn't taken like that next huge step forward that way yeah what would you want to see from him to feel like he did take that step forward yeah well he, he's a technical guy and he seems like a really genuine guy too mm-hmm. that comes across in his music so we could find a way to make that's the thing like i mean it's obvious as oh just make let's make a commercial song that can go on the playlist so people find out about you but that's not the kind of music he makes so you know i, I mean i'm not sure what the path is to to grow to be honest, because he's already a very successful guy. Like I said, RCA Records, he's moved to LA, he's where he worked. Um, the, the last the debut album with RCA was the first time he had really worked with outside people, and now he's doing that again. So he seems like he's he's fully much in the in the industry, but he hasn't really changed the type of music he makes. I think that's probably bodes well for his future success, just because he's probably happy making this kind of music. So uh, he probably doesn't need need my advice, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, what what would you think? What, what would need to to push him forward more? Well, you know, the song that I like the most off this was Beeman, um, and I think that's it, the highlight for a lot of people. Yeah, and I I think that that right there is probably a bit of the hook. Is I, I know he's very minimalist, but I think maybe finding a way to infuse this, and maybe it's the uh you know the chicago sound like that jazz infused hip-hop um maybe it's something um just a little bit more but i think when it goes from you know because that i was listening to i was like who does this remind me of and i was thinking a little bit of 21 savage um especially like like the new album because i felt like 21 savage new album was fairly minimalist um in terms of like the beats weren't anything too too crazy but savage just kind of was absolute fire on it and i feel like maybe if he can find a way to bring that minimalistic style but have little flourishes and then kind of coupling that that earnestness that i think he he really harnesses well in his lyrics could help him propel that next level i mean he also had like smino on a song on this maybe finding some more people to collaborate with um could help him out uh I thought Freddie Gibbs was also decent on toast to that. Um, So, I mean, there's a couple of avenues. I think he, I mean, I don't know how old he is, but he he still seems to be um, late twenties, you know, trying some things. Um, 
maybe taking a couple more chances being uh, it, with a major label will give him access to take some of these chances. Who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, like you really. said, I don't think he needs our advice, but just <laughs> on it. Um, someone that definitely doesn't need our advice. Uh, Hoodie Allen staying in the Northeast, going from Boston to Long Island, Plainview stand up. <laughs> uh, New York city now. Yeah. So Hoodie Allen, um, interesting guy. We, we reviewed, uh, his most recent album, I believe prior yep. to the hype 2017, which we both really liked. Check out that review. Um, and we both were fans of Hoodie Allen since our college days, um, you stuck with him. I kind of fell off, came back to him with the most recent album prior to whatever USA. And Hoodie's really interesting because he's a really, really smart guy. You know, worked for Google, left to follow his music career. Um, and I think as I'm listening to whatever USA, still a super enjoyable album. Uh, I found this to be very catchy. And I think there's some steps forward here for Hoodie. But I think where I felt maybe, I don't want to say disappointed, but just kind of like, oh, okay, we're still here, uh, is lyrically. You know, there's, I think, uh, some of the the jokes and the, the catchy lyrics on here feel similar in terms of, like, structure and delivery to where Hoodie was, you know, probably right after he was dropping, you know, mixtapes. Like, we, uh, I'm Not a Robot and things like that. Um, so... I think this is a step forward in a lot of ways, but I still feel like there's some things, maybe some old ways of going about things that are holding Hoodie back. Mm. How did you feel about whatever USA though? Yeah, that that's an interesting thought. I uh, so so this is really short, right? It's like 27 yeah. minutes or so, and despite that, I think there is a bit amount, a fair amount of different things. He sings a little bit more on this than he. Mm-hmm has in the past but you know on what what's that song towards the end um hell of a hell of a time time. yep i thought he sounded really good on that yeah you know and he he didn't come up as a singer by any means uh but on songs like the title track whatever you say first track you still kind of have that textbook hoodie allen rapid fire pop culture referencing punchlines and in a sense, those have always dated his songs, you know, got Blazers, Aldridge, classic Hoodie mm-hmm. Allen line from years past. Well, Marcus Aldridge is not on the Blazers in many years, but still a funny <laughs> line. Um, this, in this album, we get a reference to Zendaya, who's yeah. very vogue right now. And she'll, I mean, I don't think that song will go out of date anytime. Yeah. We know Zendaya will be around a long time. But we um, also got a reference to Bagel Boss. Got a reference to Zion. You know, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of, you know, the moment things. Now, I think when it, when he's at his best, it's really witty. I think my favorite uh, instance of this is "Let Me Pump the Brakes" Joe Budden with it, which is an, <laughs> a deeper cut. Yeah, Girl, you pump me up. I'm yelling a sket it. Little pump reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's funny. It's amusing. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, he's always making it's it's pop rap, and right. that, honestly, we don't really talk with pure pop rap all that often. You know, even people that dive mix their toes into this like. Uh, like Drake or Jeezy or something, they make other stuff as well, right? But Hoodie has, I think, kind of honed in on this is the type of music he makes. He's more than a rapper, not quite a full singer. 
at the end of the day, it's poppy, it's inoffensive, it's uh, cruising music, cruising USA, the name of one of his mm-hmm. So, as you said, you know, the, are there paths for Hoodie to keep going bigger? I don't know. And maybe he's not really trying to. This really did feel like a refinement of a lot of the, the growth he's had. He's shown in spurts on past projects, though. And, uh, you know, it's not like I didn't love every song or anything, but I think on songs like Whatever USA, songs like 60 Seconds, Hell of a Time, uh, I feel like these songs can kind of fit in that hoodie canon, which is, you know, I think uh, a nice accomplishment for someone who's been releasing music for seven, eight years already. So, yeah. Uh, anything else stand out to you? Any, like a song uh, or anything else? Anything about the sound? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I definitely think the sound has matured a little bit. Um, he's, it seems like his palette is expanding a little bit in terms of how he's going, using different instruments on the songs. Like, I think there were some more horns throughout this, um, you know, it, it, what I was reflecting most on, I think was just where Hoodie Allen fits in. Cause when I was looking for this album, uh, on Spotify, I had to like actually search for it. When I, I usually just go to the new releases, scroll down, but and I might have just missed this. So this might just be an oversight, but I didn't see it on the Friday release drop, and I was like, I was surprised because I feel like Hoodie Allen, in my mind, is always like like a pop artist. Like he's pretty, he's fairly well known. He's obviously not at the top, but still people know who he is. And I I was surprised to see Spotify maybe not giving him that look i'm actually going to go back and search right now see if maybe i just scroll past it well that brings up an important distinction with hoodie allen though is that he's an entirely independent artist like truly like he doesn't just have he doesn't have distribution he doesn't he doesn't have a manager you know he just has pr that he just hired you know other than that everything's by hoodie allen so in by default that lowers the bar for success for him he doesn't need to accomplish as much to uh, live a very happy and successful career with like the way he's been doing uh, he's also based out in New York City, which is not the top choice for uh, most active musicians right now. Uh, LA, obviously, is where most people want to go. And his biggest chart hit to date is all about it with his Edge boy, Ed Sheeran. Um, mm-hmm. That was like a top 70 track like five years ago. Um, it would probably be nice for him as, from a career standpoint if he could link back up with Ed just to get a little boost again. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, I wonder how much of that's really just they Spotify is not receiving a check from Hoodie for superior placement. Therefore, they were not inclined to do so. But even still, there's only so many new releases. You think he would have been been there because he does have a, a small but loyal fan base that is streaming the hell out of his music. It's He tweeted it did a million total streams the first day. That should be enough to put you on some kind of front page, right? Yeah. Um... I'm actually I'm I went back and checked he is not on there still and looking down I mean they 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 put singles and things like that on there but some of these artists I I have to imagine Hoodie Allen is more popular than Water Parks uh, I don't know figure got me uh, <laughs> off with their heads I don't know yeah uh very it, that was surprising to me but I I agree with your point about being an independent artist and I I think me and this might be also a uh, nostalgic association for where I was when I first started listening to Hoodie Allen, but I associate him a lot with early Donald Glover, you know, like, uh, yes. and yeah, just like that, like pop punchline rap. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been interesting. I mean, obviously Donald Glover 
is like a creative genius and not saying hoodie isn't i i don't think he's shown he has what don glover has and that's not a knock because no one has what don glover yeah. has but that's saying uh, much there <laughs> i would like i'd like to see hoodie allen keep taking some chances similar to that and and trying to mature a little bit because i i think he can be more than kind of like you were saying uh just being the artist he is now i think there's more potential there so uh I'll uh, I'll be checking out Hoodie's next album and the one after that for sure. Uh, I'm in, but um, look, hoping for some more moving forward. Uh, definitely check out some of these songs that we're going to be putting on to our Spotify playlist, Nostalgia Best of 2019. Uh, the, the new songs that we've added are at the top now, so you can listen to the what we're, lis- what we're listening to right away. Why don't we jump into Glow, Season 3. Uh, it was kind of weird thinking that this is the third season of this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like it was only the second season in a lot of ways. The first two kind of meshed together in my mind. Um, how, how did you feel about season three, Blow? How, where was your temperature coming in and then did it meet your expectations? Uh, yeah, so temperature coming in was, uh, was, was warm. Let's say that. Not boiling hot, not lukewarm. Just a solid, you know, summer heat. But... <laughs> Glow never made a top 10 list for me in its first two seasons, nor did it for you. Uh, I think I honorable mention, of course, I never had any big complaints about either of the first two seasons. I liked a lot about it, the performers, the storylines, all that, production value. But it never really like jumped out the way other shows jump out to us for you know the reasons that we that, that they do. We talk about that. Check those videos out. But Glow season three actually kind of like blew me away for my considering my expectations going in. And this is, I think is easily the best season of glow mm-hmm. and the one I enjoyed the most and definitely one of my favorite seasons of TV of the year. So yeah, I was uh, quite pleased with this new uh, uh, 10 episode run. Yeah. I was excited for glow. Um, it's not, it wasn't a show I was thinking about like, Oh, I can't wait till it comes back. But when I when it got to be time and it was dropping, I was like, I can't wait to jump back in and see where these characters are at. Um, and I agree. I think this is by far the best season of Glow. Um, you know, the the stakes are a little bit higher for the show, just in terms of the setting is is not Middle America anymore. It's Las Vegas. It's you know they they have more production value in terms of their shows, although not a ton more. <laughs> um, it, but where it left me was I was one impressed, but two a little bit concerned about the show moving forward. Um, and we'll, we, we can talk about that, but um, overall I think that this was an accomplishment for the show. And uh, I think that it'll definitely get more nominations at, at the Emmys. Um, what, what did you like about the show? It seems like this was a breakout, so to speak for you. Yeah. And it's funny. What I like most about this show, I've seen some people, some reviews remark as a slight negative in the sense that there's less wrestling than the act, the sport of wrestling. We see less of that action this time, this season. The sport for me, that's a feature, not a bug. Full stop. Yeah. Because the most enjoyable, rewarding thing about this show the whole time, for me anyway, has been these characters and how they interact with one another, their relationships. And I think in this season, we actually get a lot more substantive stories and threads about the greater ensemble. The ensemble has always been impressive, talented, 
yet never fully explored truly or always were supporting players. You know, when Ruth, Debbie, and Sam are, of course, uh, the core three. And they're still the core three this season. But mm-hmm. we get a lot more from the other people, which I think is great because I like the, where the, where the direction they went. And if that meant there was only really three wrestling scenes of consequence this time around, I'm okay with that because we've seen the routine and the fact that they're in Las Vegas at a, a hotel doing the same routine over and over again. We don't need to see that same routine over and over again as a viewer. Right. And what we get instead, obviously after the first, the first episode is episode five where they change roles, mm-hmm. which was completely entertaining on, on its face, but also explored, uh, finally pushed forward the exploration of stereotypes mm-hmm. characters that the rest, wrestlers were playing. And we, and then we get that, you know, further in the next episode, our bound, they go camping. Yep. And then of course the, the finale where the, uh, the Christmas twist where Zoya is Scrooge. I mean, she's great. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I just, I liked so many of the, the stories and B plots this time around. And I thought almost all of them ended in a satisfying way. And and again, they found a way to, I think, end you in a bit of a cliffhangery spot. So I think it's, it's really satisfying. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that is a major strength is they tried to flesh out these side characters more. Do I feel like every single one was done successfully? No. Uh, I, I feel like some of them uh, could have been... Uh, fleshed out more it could have been explored for longer in the show and i think that that's kind of where my knock on this season comes in is uh the stuff going on with ruth and sam i didn't really care about (laughs) uh i I really like ruth and i'm very interested in her and i like sam as a character too and i'm a lot more interested in his relationship with his daughter but they're like uh are they gonna get together are they not not as interesting to me. Um, and I feel like they could have used that time more economically to explore something like Cherry, um, who they touch on her potential gambling addiction in one episode, but it kind of either gets resolved or just isn't really talked about too much more. Um, they don't really explore her feelings around what's going on with Keith other than they have this fight, they're separated, Keith's absent, then comes back at the very end. Um, those sort of things could have been explored a little bit more, even welfare queen. Um, I'm forgetting the actual person's name in it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tammy or something. Yeah. Somewhat to me. Yeah. 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 Um, she has this whole thing where, you know, she's having this back issue and it's explored for a whole episode. And then they kind of come to the point in outward bound, like, Oh, you could be a manager. Great. We never see it. Um, right. And I feel like this is the thing, it, it, you know, they try to wrap up a lot of those in the final Scrooge episode. And I, I really liked that episode. It was a fun watch. Um, but some of these storylines felt a little bit rushed. And I worry, especially now that it seems like Ruth is going to be going in one direction, Debbie going in another, and potentially Sam even in another direction, that the show is going to be jumping around so much that it's not going to be able to be, it's going to have to be really economic and and well-written with the time for each character in order to continue this. Now, it seems like some characters, like 
I don't know if we'll continue following Carmen as she goes to wrestle with her brother. That might be really interesting. I hope we do. But that also might be her leaving the show. You don't know. Yeah. Or she comes back at some point, you know, as a supporting character. Yeah. You know, I I think uh, even like I think one of the biggest successful side stories with Sheila uh, Mm -hmm. finding herself coming to terms with herself and having personal growth and her friendship with uh, Bobby. Once she sheds the uh, the she-wolf persona mm-hmm. and starts acting uh, like a like a more normal adult, I guess uh, you don't actually see how that affects her in the ring. Yeah. The next time we see wrestling is when everyone's doing something different with uh, this, the Christmas Carol story. So I guess that that was a you know, final thing they left untouched. But I think Outward Bound overall was really great just because. I liked how they 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 discussed the uh, Asian the yeah type that is fortune cookie and how when uh, Melrose a white woman is doing that kind of accent and being that character it's uh, not gonna make a Cambodian Chinese Cambodian person feel great yeah um, and they do it in a I think a tactful smart way that doesn't feel super preachy and they don't villainize uh, Melrose either. Um, mm-hmm. And even Artie, to a lesser extent, you know, her thoughts on the Beirut character are also mentioned and how she feels a different way. Where, um, you know, so I, I think that kind of stuff was really smart. Also, Bash starts to break bad this season. Yeah. You know, there, he never, there really never was an like antagonist, like a pure antagonist that remains on the show. And then Flash seems to be that figure. But then meanwhile, we get this really nuanced exploration of his experience as a closeted man. Mm-hmm. And they also don't really resolve that at yeah. the end. Meanwhile, you get this really like propulsive uh, sex scene mm-hmm. in the middle of this. So I, I, I think a, a lot of these were uh, really great just because we've come to know these characters a lot. You know, the first few seasons we had to do a lot of the setup and groundwork about what the show is, how it works, who these people are. But then we actually get to dig a little deeper on this. Yeah. It was really cool. And Justine, too, you mentioned. Uh, Sam's daughter. I think uh, Britt Barron. I think she's magnetic. I think she's one of the best performers on the show. Mm-hmm. So I really hope we get to see more of the production of her film in LA. I think that's cool. Um, but as you mentioned, you're, you're worried about the spot of the show. And, you know, I think Ruth is such an intriguing, compelling character because she does stuff all the time that makes her unlikable or mm-hmm. just does annoying things. Yeah. And Debbie does that too. And that's why the relationship is so rich because it's uh, really complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Alice and Bree's performance is always really great because she's bringing such life and such uh, uh, you know, strength to this really deep character who... Mm-hmm. Uh, has a hard time staying happy, and the divergent point in the finale is is really interesting. And yeah, I'm really not sure what direction we go in moving forward. But I just hope the show gets to keep going. We haven't got a season four renewal, and it's become more commonplace now that Netflix would rather cancel it, its original shows sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Away, American Vandal, Tukey and Birdie, lots of beloved yep. shows. Heck. OA, I think, was pretty well rated too. They just kind of get canned, and there are exceptions like Narcos and Stranger Things and Crown, but overall, 
low has never been a huge ratings hit from what we know and got less Emmy nominations this time around for season two. So I'm actually kind of concerned that we won't get a season four, which would suck because I really like where the show ended. Yeah. And, and I want to see what happens next. And uh, even with the concerns, I still really enjoy this show. So I do hope they get to finish it. I wanted to ask you, cause we didn't really talk a lot about Debbie. What, how do you feel about Betty Gilpin's performance this season? Oh, hell yeah. Great Debbie season. Yeah. I thought she was awesome. Yeah. Seeing her come into her own as like the producer and kind of pull that, uh, that, that deal out from under text at the end. I was, I was like, hell yeah. Like it was great to see that. Although I did, I feel like the thing with her son, which I forgot what her son's name is. Oh uh, shit. So it's like a stupid name. <laughs> so I, I just felt like it was really dumb. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like Carl or something like that. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Anyways, I feel like that, Basically, they're like, oh, her son's here now. And then he it was just like a, a way to get her and Tex to run into each other. And then we really never see him again. Oh, that's I was a good like, point. Yeah. I was like, damn. Yeah. Uh, his name's Randy. Randy. Oh, <laughs> bad name. Um, but no, I, overall, just a really strong season. Um, you know, there's so many characters to talk about. It's hard to kind of give them all justice in a review like this. But it, you find yourself rooting for all of them, even the ones who annoy you, even the ones who maybe uh, you don't agree with or, or the the content might be a little dicey at times. You're just all in. Even Bash, you know, it was like hard to see him be this asshole because you know he's not. And then, of course, you have the, the moment in the last one where he talks about wanting to be the son his mother wants. And like, it's just heartbreaking. You know, you have these moments where you, they really do a great job of writing these characters. So, uh recommend glow we both do check it out i'm wondering if you recommend this new show righteous gemstones on hbo uh, stacked cast i mean <laughs> when when we're talking about um john goodman uh basically playing like a side i mean at least from the first episode a side character while danny mcbride adam divine and E.B. patterson get to kind of show out as his children of this this mega church um yep. It, Joel I mean, Osteen looking ass. Yeah, there is no shortage of talent for this show. Um, but you know, I turned it on last night and I saw it was an hour and two minutes. And I had a big side dog. <laughs> so like, I? Oh I like, man, oh, I didn't know. I didn't expect this. I mean, oh, that's the thing. I was like ten o'clock. Ah, oh, those ten o'clock shows have been an hour. I was like, mm, nah, it'll be a half hour. They'll put something else on. No, doing an hour. How did you feel uh, about this first episode? Oh, I'm still in, obviously. Um, this is the, the third HBO show from the Danny McBride, Jody Hill mm-hmm. uh, talent collective. Now they've brought David Gordon Green in as well. You know, Eastbound, yep. which we talked about on the show. Now, Righteous Gemstones. And I think what immediately jumps out about Gemstones is that the setting seems more exciting because we're around this super opulent mega church family. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, there's even more star power this time around. And it just seems like there's a lot of great opportunity for hijinks, which is kind of what we want from a McBride Hill show. And we know Walton Goggins is coming as well, who was fantastic as a foil for McBride and vice principals. So 
yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm all, I'm all the way in. I like the premiere a lot. I think it did a fair amount of setup. And even if we advance the uh, insinuating conflict with this uh, video that, that, that progressed more than I thought, namely these blackmailers getting fucking killed, um, yeah. I'm still in. I thought it was it was effective setup. Yeah, definitely effective setup, and also kind of shocking. Um, I didn't I didn't see the the death coming at the end and then when fucking danny mcbride as jesse just backs up into the guy literally to the point where he has to like swerve the car around serpentine dog getting away from this yeah, right uh, just uh it, it was pretty shocking but i'm definitely in um you know the thing that i think i like the most about this is uh, the, the setup is fine and all i really enjoy when danny mcbride has like those little moments where he's he goes back to just being Danny McBride, but like mm-hmm. when the uh, when the blackmailers come in in the van for the first time, they're like circling him, and he's like, "What the fuck is this?" Like that <laughs> that sort of stuff. More than anything, like makes me laugh. Or like when he's like when they're watching the video for the first time with like his friends, and they're all and they're like, "Who is that?" And he's like, "That's me." And they're just like, "Oh God!" And then, you know, Adam Divine afterwards is like basically like making fun of the guy for having a small penis just like the whole thing is hilarious um yeah uh, hbo did it again you know it's a, yeah, like you said quality team to be working on this uh how did you feel about like the john goodman kind of being off to the side in this a little bit i mean i kind of expected that to be honest uh he's just probably on set less given this character but mm-hmm. just having john goodman's presence on tv uh when was the last time that happened i don't even know um like other the connors i guess he's been on tv recently but yeah um he's just such a magnetic presence obviously we don't need to talk about why john goodman's good great <laughs> but he, he's also very believable as a wealthy father of two guys that are great at paying assholes yeah ride and define and also Edie Patterson, who was magnetic standout on Vice Principals. I'm mm-hmm. glad she's back again, too, as their sister, because, <laughs> you know, they have great chemistry. And, yeah, uh, like Eastbound, like Vice Principals, these shows are just about uh, male assholes, right? Like, that's kind of yeah. the ethos of the McBride Hill uh, enterprise. And along the way, it's really funny. Like it's just it's just funny shit, and yeah. you know we want, we talk about a lot of comedies that some comedies have a lot of uh, ambition or uh, just really really smart writers room that really try and tackle stuff like Veep or something. And this, I mean, they got a good writers room too. These guys know know the, know their know their way on on the script and the pen and stuff, but they're not afraid to just be like raunchier and mm-hmm. uh, perhaps more juvenile at times. And it's kind of refreshing, I think, just because it's, it's they're, they're ultimately really charming dicks. And I yeah, like being, I being like being around them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I feel like like they need this to be fast. I don't know about fast, but they need it to be well paced because, like like we both said, an hour is a big ask for a comedy. At yes, this point. no, and no question. Uh, I think that that is the the thing I'm most concerned about is if this thing if it has a lull or 
you know, doesn't necessarily find its footing for a little, you know, for certain stretches, it could be the kind of thing that falls by the wayside for a lot of people. So um, I have confidence in them that they'll figure that out. But, uh, you know, if they want to just make it 30 minute episodes and just give us more episodes, I'm fine with that too. Like cut it down smaller, smaller chunks. Um, any last thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah. You know, at least in the premiere, I mean, when I'm trying to glean a lot from a little here, but they didn't openly mock or villainize evangelical Christians, uh, televangelists, you know, obviously they're based on, um, uh, those famous people that husband and wife forget their names, uh, Batker, something like that. Um, they didn't mock Christians, which is kind of an easy thing to do in the liberal sphere that is Hollywood. And they don't even make this in Hollywood. They choose this in South, uh, South Carolina. But uh, I like that there, there wasn't any immediate judgment passed. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. You know, I mean, they obviously are writing uh, over-the-top humor, like uh, McBride's wife uh, asks if she can speak during the fight. <laughs> You know, and like that's obviously lampooning this kind of male-dominated, uh, uh, you know, traditional values thing. But we'll, we'll see. See, we'll see if that continues. But I, I, I feel like they're approaching this uh, obvious Tactfully. satire with uh, some tact so far. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. Um, although I did really like uh, McBride's son in this. Just how like antagonizing he is to his dad. Also, his name's fucking Pontius. Of all I know. tribal names. Come on. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's, that's good stuff. Uh, Blinded by the Light. Bruce Springsteen type movie. Uh, Bruce. Uh, Grinder Chat. Uh, Chadra? Uh, Chadra, I think. Chadra, the director Chata. of Band Like Beckham. Yeah. Uh, Directed Blinded by the Light, this movie based on uh, music by Bruce Springsteen and the um, memoir of uh, Sarfraz Manzoor, um, who was a Pakistani Londoner. Uh, Side note, when at the end of the credits, when you see the picture mm-hmm. of the real guy, did you not think he looked like a Pakistani Mark Ruffalo? Because that's what I saw. I did for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... I, I, mean, I was with uh, my girlfriend Julianne, who loves Mark Ruffalo, and I was like, "Yeah, it looks like a little bit like Mark, Mark Ruffalo." And she she didn't see it, but I thought yeah. so. That so. was an offensive thing to say to her, I'm sure. <laughs> um, you know, so following yesterday, which is the the obvious comparison for this movie, um, you know, a story that uh, uses music by a famous artist to tell its story. Um, uh, obviously, a little bit more. Uh, ingrained in yesterday as a plot device this uh, a little bit more as an explaining device I think in this movie um, at least uh, internal and emotional explaining um, you you texted me this and I was so I want to give you credit for it uh, Bruce ain't the Beatles man and it's kind of how I felt about this movie was uh, it was good it was good and especially the second half there's a there's a scene where they put on born to run uh, and they shut the radio station. They run around London. Uh, Buck Tiffany. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're having a good time. It, and from that point on, the movie really picks up for me. But prior to that, I was like, Ooh, this is going to be another tough hour to get through. And 
I, I found myself somewhere in the middle where I didn't think this was a bad movie, but I also don't know if I agree with the the praise it's gotten uh, from what was it? At? It wasn't TIFF, right? It was at Sundance. Sundance, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, on the t- you mentioned yesterday the obvious comparison, the most recent uh, musical film, and not a musical story about music, and that obviously has the super high concept what if people forgot the Beatles of this one guy thing right we don't have that this is much more conventional coming of age story as you said based off biopic from a a, a British Pakistani fellow and it's really conventional I think to a fault at times because I think a lot of the supporting characters are quite thin in terms of there's not really much added to them what you see is what you get you're familiar with these types of archetypes before the dad, the mom, the sister, the bullies, the DJ at the school, all that stuff. Nothing was uh, the politically minded uh, love interest, all that stuff. But I can't help but be impressed with just how charming the movie is. And uh, what's the name of the lead? What's the lead actor's name again? Plays Javid. Javid. Um, Sorry, I'm looking at notes here. He's this is his first big screen role, and I think at times, perhaps maybe in the beginning, when he's trying to ask to just read lines and there's no like really big set pieces yet, he kind of shows that he's a bit of a neophyte as an actor. Um, You know, Hamesh Patel in Yesterday, I think was one of the strengths of Yesterday, even though ultimately we thought they really punted on that uh, uh, premise, which was really intriguing on its face. Watch that review for more on that, but. Like I said, I think Blinding by Light is just really charming. And I think the key the key thing that it needs to do right, which I think is what it does, is it communicates uh, why some people are really into Bruce Springsteen, especially people from this time in the 80s, late 80s. Mm-hmm. And as someone who is not a Bruce Springsteen person at all, like I, I know his hits, I like his hits, but like my parents never played it growing up, so I was never really exposed to a lot of his, his deep cuts or anything like that. Uh, the way they really focus and honed in on the lyrics of Bruce throughout this movie, and I mean, they play 17 different Bruce songs. That's, that's a lot to license. And showing the lyrics, like actually like the physical words in front of you, while he's listening to the songs and trying to really show you why or what he's feeling and why the song is getting him through that. I think that works. And if it didn't work on the movie, it really wouldn't work at all. But I think that gets through. And as you said, in the second half, it really starts to pick up and it's kind of just one of those, you know, those, those feel good movies. And apart from the, the display of the, the lyrics, there's nothing else that's super, uh, unusual or standoutish about the movie but i also don't think anything was super offensive either i think the dad even though that's a character that you've seen before they really do their best to not totally villainize him and the performance is pretty good as well um, even Haley atwell who has a really thankless role as uh, eliza the the supporting teacher oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, she's still good just because it's Haley atwell she's a talented performer yeah and she's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I thought it was good. I liked it more than yesterday. And it really just kind of made me think that in the past year or so, there's been a lot of movies about music. Yeah, there have. Um, yeah, so the, the actor's name is uh, Vivek 
Kyra. Um, First and, April. Yeah, and like you said, uh, you, uh, I think I think he, his performance was pretty middling, um, which is which is hard. Uh, when it's your first big role to, to take on something where there's so much and pretty much every scene revolves just around him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were s- some really cringeworthy ways that they worked Bruce Springsteen. Like, and this maybe this was the way he was and the sometimes high schoolers are like this. But when he's like reading lyrics off um, oh. or like reciting them to each, like, to each other, yeah. I was like, I almost had to look through my hands. I was feeling so awkward uh watching that sort of stuff um i i i think where i started to feel like the movie really picked up though was when like the real when the conflict started to bubble to the surface with the people in his life whether it was his friend mark or his dad um you know i think the first hour or so is a lot of him just kind of like brooding um until and it's it's a tough hang for a little bit and then when and also it was very frustrating later on when he has the fight with his dad where his dad rips up the tickets right and then his first instinct is to go and to throw everything out and then he decides he's gonna like leave home it it was frustrating to me to see him like even move towards like the wine to like throw stuff out at first because i was like dog you moved past this like you found your voice this is this doesn't feel like it's what you writing since you were nine right why would you guy (laughs) yeah um now that that was dramatized a bit and and not actually how it was for uh sarfraz um although he did have the whole fight with his dad about stuff um and and eliza his girlfriend was totally uh manifested for the movie uh wasn't actually allowed to date in real life um but i i think that was a fine ploy to kind of rope in some of the more political things going at the time and kind of the overall message of the things bruce springsteen was singing about were things actually meaningful at the time um what were your favorite like musical cues or or songs in the movie i mean you said born to run that's the obvious highlight um thunder row is pretty good when he's singing to eliza i liked hungry heart as well um that that's it's just it reminded me. It's like Hungry Heart was one of those songs I didn't even know was a Bruce Sprong Bruce song for the longest time. It's just a song I recognize. I was like, oh that oh that's Bruce Springsteen too. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean a lot of, a lot of the songs are like quick drop ins. You know, you don't you don't hear the whole the whole thing or anything. And unlike yesterday, he's not performing the songs unless he's reciting the lyrics. But usually when he's reciting the lyrics, it, it's uh, just spoken word for the most part, or at least it starts out that way. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, as you said, the scene at the the uh, the outdoor shopping area where he just kind of yeah. starts going, and then uh, his buddy's dad joins in, who's who's, who's a great time the whole time, and that, that was <laughs> really fun. And it, it kind of dips his toes into these like more surrealist uh, scenes mm-hmm. where like everyone's dancing and stuff and running around, and yeah, uh, again, that's one of the movies just really I think the most carefree and the most fun. But I agree overall, I, I did enjoy it. I agree. It, t- it takes a little while to get going. Do you think that, because I mean, it's sitting at right now 90% Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty high. Do you think that's where I guess it should be, quote unquote, for this movie? Well, here's the thing. It's like this movie has the ambition of being a conventional coming of age story and it achieves that then positive review mm-hmm. yesterday. 
proposes this concept that it does not act on and ultimately is a pretty traditional rom-com at the end of the day negative mm-hmm. review and uh, uh, expectations and ambition yeah go a long way into how people will receive your movie yeah and i think blind by light is perhaps a little simpler than uh, other 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 films of its ilk and it perhaps just glosses on the uh, headier themes. I mean, fuck, there are neo-Nazis in this movie, the National Front. But yep. for what it sets out to do, I think it does achieve it. And that's probably why it's getting a lot of positive reviews. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I think it, that's a really good point about how the expectations set it up for failure or success. Seems to be a theme today. You know, kind of talking about Hoodie Allen as well. Any last thoughts on Blinded by the Light? Shout out Dean Charles Chapman. Our good friend, sweet Common Baratheon, uh, <laughs> doing perhaps a polar opposite performance um, as this womanizing, aspiring rock star British kid. I, th- I thought he, he was pretty funny. When he's, and honestly, one of the best jokes in the movie is when they make it fun of him when he says, since are the future. Yeah. <laughs> great, great uh, meta joke. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, go check, go watch Glow, Righteous Gemstones. What do we got next week? Next week, Taylor Swift, Lover, big album. Will it be good? Well, I don't like any of these singles yet. So probably <laughs> not, but we'll talk about it regardless. Also, Brockhampton's dropping Ginger, their fifth studio album, and Rhapsody, fresh off a best rap album nomination with their last record back again with a new rap uh, a new album and my hunter season two which came out last friday we will be diving deep on the main of it all and disney's d23 expo might lend some uh, unforeseen developments that we will talk about as well so plenty to talk about even as the summer deluge is coming to an end <laughs> Nostalgia Best of 2019 on Spotify, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to find all the ways to listen to the podcast. And uh, go to YouTube, hit that subscribe button. We love you. Peace out.